This is the Relevant Life Church podcast, where we are about connecting with God, relating to people, and reaching our world. Tune in as our church goes through this week's teaching in God's Word. Um, this is the last week before Pastor Kevin, our lead pastor, comes back from vacation. So he's probably watching online. So give it up really quick for him today. And then Pastor Rhonda will be back. Um, I also want to mention next week's a super important week because our new youth pastor and his wife and his child will be here with us. He's probably watching online right now. But can we give it up for Pastor Jesse who's coming next week as well? I'd really encourage you, uh, we're going to honor them, and you guys can meet them. Uh, youth students, we're kicking youth group back off, and so he'll be there, so I'd encourage you to prioritize that. How many people love this community? That's good. I like the energy. This is good. Sometimes South is, like, unsure what they should say, so you guys are bringing good good energy this morning. Anyway, with that being said, uh, I'm not speaking today. Pastor Sasser's speaking today, and he told me that I have to give a super good welcome to him. So I need you guys, like, if you're comfortable, standing ovation, all right? Let's invite Pastor Sasser. <laughs> Somebody like was like, yes. So whoever that was, I will give you your money after, after we close. So um, <laughs> how's everyone doing today? Yeah, I'm, I'm doing pretty good, if you care. Um, <laughs> I'm, we always start nervous on Sundays, right? I, especially, I don't do this a lot, so I'm always a little bit nervous. Um, and honestly, this last week, um, I, was, I was working, because I am bivocational, so I was working at Hydrotent Mechanical and, you know, my computer. And then all of a sudden, I'm like, wait, I get Monday off. Like, this is Labor Day weekend, right? And so it, like, came as, like, this huge surprise to me of, like, I have a three-day weekend. This is pretty awesome, you know? And so I didn't know if you guys were taken by surprise this year by Labor Day. And I was, um, I was actually out hunting with our lead pastor yesterday. Yeah, we're like Ben. And we, we pretty much just hike with bows in our hand. That's pretty much how we do things. Um, anyways, so we uh, were out there and we were walking back from this area. And I'm like, hey, do you actually know the reason behind like why we celebrate Labor Day and he's like I don't remember <laughs> and and I'm like yeah like I don't I don't remember either so I looked it up and it, it's a celebration of labor right it's a celebration of the people who kind of built America into like this, the great nation that we have now so and that that includes you guys right we're all particip- well some of us are retired some of us are between jobs. But when you were working or are going to be working, you, you make this country great, right? And I, I found out this morning, Alex, wherever he is, he was like, hey, did you know that Oregon was the first state to actually adopt this Labor Day holiday? And I was like, perfect. We are the laborers who said, first, we will take a day off, right? <laughs> so... Anyways, that has nothing to do with my sermon. I just wanted to open with something so my nerves would go away. So there we go. All right, we're all set. We're all settled in. You guys were talking about this sermon series called Parables, Parables right? And it, it's about Jesus and, and the way he would, he would teach and preach to his disciples and, and just the, it's the stories that he would use, these parables. And 
If you don't know what a parable is, I have an actual simple definition here. It's a simple story to illustrate a moral or spiritual lesson, right? So it's just a simple story to actually tell us how to live our lives and, and even gain more spiritual knowledge. And why did Jesus use them? Uh, Jesus could have used any avenue to communicate the truths of this kingdom, but he chose parables. Our desire is to understand what his parables meant and to align the action and trajectory of our lives with their meanings and truths. And in Matthew 13, 11, Jesus actually teaches us, he tells us very specifically in this passage why he uses parables. So in this passage, he says, uh, he replied, because the knowledge of the secrets of the heaven of the kingdom of heaven has been given to you, but not to them, right? And you're like, great, that was a great explanation, given to you, but not to them. So he's saying that if you're my disciples, if you believe in me, then these truths will be revealed to you. The Holy Spirit will reveal them to you, and they're going to be evident to you, right? But what he was also doing is keeping the secrets of heaven away from the Pharisees and the Sadducees, all the, all the people who were kind of messing things up uh, religiously in that time, because he didn't, he didn't want to give away the keys to his kingdom. So that's why Jesus is using these parables. He's going, no, this, it's an easy explanation if you already know what I'm talking about. If you're a part of my family, then we have this secret code, and, and this is this is our discussion today. But if you're not a part, then it's going to be really hard for you to figure out what's going on. Okay? So today I'm talking about the parable of the Good Samaritan. How many people have heard this parable before? Yeah, pretty much everyone. So it's, it's a very common parable. It's one that is preached on a lot. Um, and I, I'm going to challenge and encourage you guys, don't check out today. Okay, because I was talking to one of our board members this morning, and, and he's like, yeah, I was listening to this other pastor, and he was challenging his people. Even if you've heard it before, don't check out, because God can do something new, right? But only if you allow him to, right? So the Holy Spirit can do, and he can move, and he can work, and he can speak to you individually, but only if you're receptive to it, okay? So... Today we're talking about the Good Samaritan, and what I want to do is I want to bring some context, right? I want to bring some background information on what was going on at the time and, and how we kind of lead up to this parable, right? You guys like that? It, it, honestly, if you don't do that when you're reading Scripture, then you're not really reading Scripture correctly, right? You're kind of just popping out little phrases that you like, and you like the interpretation that you feel that God's... But if you're not looking back at what's going on, and you're not looking back at what those people were going through, and what their understanding of that would have been, then you're not really doing a good job with your Bible scriptures, okay? So that's my challenge to you. Do some extra reading. If you're going to read that parable, read some before it. Read, read the whole book that you're um, studying, right? Read the book first and then start getting into it a little bit more. Anyways, that's kind of a side note. So this parable um, is about love, okay? It's love for God, love for your neighbor, and overarching theme is this, uh, like, walk to eternity, 
right? So Jesus' disciples, his followers, we have this eternal goal, this heaven that we are striving for and that we are living for. So my sermon title today is called Back to Basics. Everyone say Back to Basics. All right. So because we're going back contextually, right, we're going back in time, I want you guys to just go ahead and imagine yourself with Jesus and his disciples. So Jesus is 70 disciples, right? I know there's 12 disciples, but there's lots of disciples. We are all disciples of Jesus. So in the, in the story before this, we see Je- uh, Jesus' 70 disciples actually returning to Jesus, and they were kind of on a missions trip, right? So they had been out, and they'd been preaching. They had been healing the sick. They had been reaching the lost, and they came back, and they were like, they were super excited. They were just over-the-top excited about what was going on, what was happening, and all this kind of stuff. And they actually came to Jesus, and they said, Lord, even the demons submit to us in your name. And Jesus was like, yeah, duh. Like I've told you that before, right? You have this power and there's this power in my name and even the demons will submit to that and you will act. And he actually told them, you will not come into any harm, right? Unless it's God's will. So they're going, this is so amazing. We went on this missions trip. And how many people have been on a missions trip before? Yeah, quite a few of us. I've actually never been. You guys, a little sad sigh of, oh. yeah, someday. I'll go someday. I'm getting super old, though, so maybe it's not in the cards for me. We'll see. Anyways, so these disciples are just, they're so just overexcited, and they're just, they're focusing on this power and what has happened, and Jesus is like, you guys need to calm down, right? You guys need to kind of, let's refocus some things here. And Jesus actually comes back to them, and, and he says, However, do not rejoice that the spirits submit to you, but rejoice that your names are written within heaven. Right? So don't, don't get excited about all these things that are going on here in this, in this world. Don't, don't get excited about your ministry. Don't get excited that these demons are, are fleeing because you're using my name. Don't, don't get excited about the sick that are getting healed. Don't get excited about all the prosperity that, that your ministries are seeing. Don't, don't get excited about that. What should we be excited about? Why should we celebrate? Because our name's written down? That's what he's saying, because your name is written down in heaven, right? You've been, you've been recognized. Your name is there. So what does that mean? Well, it means that they had a reservation in heaven. It means that they had a place in heaven, and that, that speaks to eternity. Don't celebrate because of what life is giving you now, and don't cry because of what life is giving you now, because life isn't eternal. Jesus is trying to get them back to basics and go, no, our focus shouldn't be on this, what we're seeing right now on this earth and in this planet, but refocus on this eternity. Have this long view of your life and go, no, everything I do is in light of eternity. Have you guys ever 
Has, has anyone ever like come to you and you're so excited about something and they kind of like squash you a little bit with like reality, right? Has, has that happened? I do that to my children all the time. It's so fun, you guys. There's like, oh my goodness, you guys. And I'm like, and they're, they're ruined. They're just ruined. They're, but they're going to face life and they're going to know when life comes at them, they're going to, yeah, that, my dad taught me that. So anyways, so we came to Relevant Life Church in 2012, me and my wife and, and my two children, and they were much younger then. I was much younger then and had a couple more hairs on my head. Um, and we came in 2012, and we had been on this, like, journey, this search of, like, we need a new church, right? Because what we had wasn't, they weren't going in the direction that we felt God was calling us to. And so we went on this journey of, like, we just need a new church. And so, I mean, we were going to the big name churches around town. We're just like, man, this just doesn't feel right. Cause we're not, we're not like big church people, right? We're, we're kind of smaller community people. We, we like to know each other. We like to give hugs and know what you guys are doing this week. And so we were on this mission and finally we found Relevant Life Church in 2012. And it was almost a year we were on this journey of finding churches, and it was just, it was hard. It was hard. I don't know if any of you have ever been on that journey before, but man, it can be grueling. You know, where do I fit, God? Do I have a place? Do you, do you know that I am in, in need of some place of your filling? Like, so we found Relevant Life Church, and we're like, this is it. This is our new family. And it was so good. We didn't even have East Campus at the time. You know, it was just out at South Campus, and it had just been remodeled, which we didn't really know because we were new. And so we were just like, man, there's, it's, it's, it's a nice facility. The people are great. The worship is just phenomenal. And the preaching, it was pretty good. Uh, no, I'm just kidding. <laughs> I'm just kidding. No, it was great. Like, every, we were just like, man, it's hitting on all cylinders, the kids' ministry, like just everything. And so we're like just jacked up about this, so excited. And, but we had been in ministry for a while. My parents were pastors and missionaries, and we know the church, and the church has issues. Why? Because it's filled with us, right? Because we have issues, the church is us, the church has issues. So we know no church is perfect because it's filled with imperfect people, which is good. That's God's plan. That's what he designed. But we knew that this feeling that we had, this, these thoughts and this thinking that we had of this great and amazing church, someday it was probably going to get a little muddy, right? Our view was going to get a little skewed. We were going to meet some people that maybe weren't showing the love of Jesus in the right way. And, you know, things were just going to get kind of messy. And so I had like this epiphany one day. We're driving home from, from church and all of a sudden, I just felt like the Holy Spirit go, remember this. Remember this. And it struck me to the core, and I had this conversation with Tiffany, and I go, we need to remember this right here. We need to remember why we're here. We need to remember the feelings that we have about this church and why you've placed us here. Because it wasn't even about us, like there was great things, but we're like, no, this is a place that we're going to get to serve and minister and love these people too. We're, we just found a new family. And so we need to, regardless of what's going on, regardless of how excited we are, we need to get back to the basics and go, no, we need to remember why we're here. And that's what we're doing today.
So Jesus was refocusing his disciples. He was saying, no, yes, everything is great. You have, yes, my name is powerful. You're doing great things in your ministry, but you need to really focus on what's going on eternally, right? So in a way, it kind of feels like he's squashing them down a little bit, right? But having your name written in heaven is such a big thing. If, if you're not considering that, if, if you can't wake up in the morning and just appreciate that even just your name is written in the Lamb's book of life and that someday you're going to have eternity with Jesus, Amen. like if that's not a big thing to you, then you should probably continue to ask for God to renew that in you and refocus on that. So this parable immediately follows this story about Jesus and his disciples and this kind of getting back to basics and re- refocusing and recentering. And it's about this discussion, this, this challenge of Jesus to go, no, life isn't about all this stuff. Life is about where you're going to end up. What we do here matters there. And so as we enter into this story, there's this this teacher of the law, a lawyer in most interpretations, and he, what we, what a lot of commentators, and I'm going to assume because these really smart men are going, no, he must have overheard this, right? He overheard this conversation. Obviously, there's more than 70 people in here. If, if I can't communicate to 70 people in a, in a really quiet way today, right? So Jesus is communicating to these 70 people. It's not quiet. Other people are going to hear. And so this this lawyer comes and he starts to challenge Jesus and he starts to challenge Jesus' teaching. So today, I want to go ahead and we're going to read this parable and I'm, I'm going to kind of break it up um, and we're just going to kind of take our time through it, okay? So it's a parable of the Good Samaritan or we can call him Good Sam, all right? On one occasion, an expert of the law stood up to test Jesus Teacher, he asked, what must I do to inherit eternal life, right? So we're going back to that conversation he was having with his, his disciples about what, what we're actually doing here means more because of our name written in that book. So the, the lawyer, not only, he, he wanted to, to test Jesus, right? But he was also wanting what his disciples were being promised as well. So it was kind of a twofold, well, how, how do I get to eternity, but is your teaching about this eternity even correct? Because he knew the law, right? There was a, there was a standing Jewish mosaic law that, that they all believed and they all taught at that time. And so Jesus, well, well, let's just continue on here. So Jesus says, what is written in the law, right? So he, he re-questions, you guys... You hate that, right? When somebody's like, well, what do you think about it? Where do you want to eat dinner, right? (laughs) Do you guys love that? Well, stop it because they're actually being like Jesus. So if I ever do that to you, (laughs) just go, Jesus, right? Not me, but like, praise him. Uh, Anyways, Jesus says, what is written in the law? How do you read it? Right? And I want to I kind of stop right here just a little bit because there's the law and then there's a lot of extra things 
the, the, the Pharisees and the Sadducees and the lawyers and all the people that had access to this law, they had done a lot with it, right? And, and throughout the years, this law started really, really simple. There was a basic law that God had given to his people. But over time, there was a lot of people that kind of messed up that law. And they added things, they subtracted things, they excluded things, they, they purposefully excluded people groups, that, right? So it got really, really messy. And so Jesus is going, what is written in the law? And then secondly, how do you interpret the law? What's your interpretation of the law? So there's actually two questions going on here. So the lawyer, he answered, and he said, love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your strength and with all your mind, and love your neighbor as yourself, right? And this is, this is literally a, a quote from Old Testament law. Like this, this is an actual quote. And Jesus himself has used this before as well. He's quoted that exact scripture. And Jesus comes and he goes, you have answered correctly, Jesus replied, do this and you will live. Boom, into conversation. All right, cool, thanks, right? No, because Jesus says, yes, you've answered correctly, but secondfold, you have to do this. You have to walk this out. You have to live this to be able to reach eternity. And so... <laughs> The lawyer's not really happy about this, and we'll get into that, but T.C. Butler wrote this about Jesus' response to the lawyer. He says, Jesus emphasized the nature of, his, of this answer, right? Not just an idea of the mind, but an action of one's strength, a feeling of one's soul, an emotion of one's heart. Love must control the entire person right? It doesn't, it doesn't come down to a rule book and what you're supposed to do. Love is the great motivator here. So for once, the stars have aligned, and Jesus and a teacher of the law have actually agreed on something. What is it? Well, it's this. You've answered correctly. Just do that, right? Sounds simple. Well, as we find out, it's not that simple. So the lawyer wanted to justify himself. So the scripture said, but he wanted to justify himself. So he asked Jesus, and who is my neighbor? And who is my neighbor? That's the loaded question. That's what we get down to as we start. Jesus is about to break out into this parable, right? So who is my neighbor? This word justify means to show or prove or to be right or reasonable, to declare or make righteous in the sight of God. So not only did the lawyer want to prove that he was right, but he also wanted to prove that he was righteous, right? He didn't just want to be right, but he wanted to be right in God's eyes. The lawyer is asking for clarification really to make himself feel better. He's going... Well, I mean, I uphold the law, right? I, pretty much. But, I mean, really, who is my neighbor? Right? That, that's kind of how he's asking this question. He's not going, well, who is my neighbor? Right? <laughs> he's going, but let's be real, Jesus. Do you really think everyone's my neighbor? Because that's not how our interpretation of the law reads 
anymore. Okay? So Jesus replies, and this is when we start into the parable. So a man was going down the road from Jerusalem to Jericho when he was attacked by robbers. They stripped him of his clothes, beat him, and went away, leaving him half dead. Okay? So in this story, there's an option. We're gonna, there's four different characters in this story. There's the man that was beaten. There's a priest. There's a Levite. And then there's good Sam. Okay? So there's four people in this story. And at any point in time, I want you to imagine yourself as any one of these people. So right now, you're the person that was just traveling on this road and you were attacked and you were beaten and you're laying there half, half dead. So this road to Jerusalem from, or from Jerusalem to Jericho was about 17 miles long, 17 to 20 miles, and it descended about 3,000 feet, okay? So it's a journey, right? And it's steep, it's, there's rocky terrain, it's through this mountain pass, and this, this path was actually called the bloody way, right? How many people are like, hey, I'm going to Jerusalem. Yeah, I'm going down the bloody way, right? <laughs> awesome. Good luck. Good luck. <laughs> Text me when you get there. <laughs> but there was, I'm going to let you know, there was an alternate route. Everyone say alternate route. Alternate. This wasn't the only way to get from Jerusalem to Jericho, okay? There was, a, there was a different way. And did you know that it was an easier way? It was an easier way, and it was safer, and it was shorter, and I'm all about the shorter, like 17 miles? No. <laughs> I hunt with a bow, but it's short distances only. <laughs> But why, so why, why, why did the, the Jewish people continue to choose to go down the bloody way instead of the safe way? Well, because that safe way went through Samaria. And Samaritans were hated by the Jews. They were considered half-breed people. They were, they were unworthy. They were unclean people. The Jews avoided them so much that they would rather take a risk on a, on a road that was called the bloody way than to even go by their town. That's how much they hated them. So here we go. Character number two comes in. A priest happened to be going down the same road, and when he saw the man... He passed by on the other side of the road. On the, on the other side. He didn't even walk by him. So a, a priest was like the, the appointed man between, he was kind of this mediator between man and God. He was the one in the temple. He, was, he did the, this, the rituals, the sacrifices, right? And he, was, he dressed really, I think, horribly. But in that time... They, you know what I mean? They had special robes and all this special stuff that they wore. And if you know anything about the priests in this time, you knew that the law actually would say, if you touch, 
if, if he were to touch anything that was dead, other than like a, a family member, if he was to touch anything that was dead, he would have to go through this whole entire ritual process uh, of re-cleansing himself. He would become unclean because of this dead whatever, and he would have to go through this ritualistic thing to cleanse himself. Well, the man wasn't dead. He was only half dead, right? So did the priest really use that as an excuse to not help this man? I, I would say no, but that's, <laughs> that's just me going, it's an assumption at this point. So, too, a Levite, when he came to the place and saw him pass by on the other side. So, a Levite was not a priest, so he's kind of like, he's kind of like the worker that does all the just kind of menial tasks of the temple, right? So, he's the one that, hey, go clean the altar, because, you know, I, sorry, I splashed blood all over it earlier. And so, the, you know what I mean? The Levite's the guy that would go and just do the tasks of the temple, Right? So he's not the leader. He's not this mediator. He's like me in the church right here. And you have your pastor, Kevin, and then you have me. I'm the Levite. Okay. So this Levite wasn't held to the same exact standards as the priest, right? So going through like the cleansing process, all that, right? It wasn't, it wasn't even as big of a deal to him. So why, why did he pass by on the other side? Well, Jesus doesn't say but a Samaritan, and I guarantee this lawyer, as soon as Jesus said Samaritan, he started losing his mind. Oh, no, Jesus. No, you didn't just say Samaritan. No, no, no. We hate those people. They shouldn't even be on our road. Like, just no. There's a whole other road that they can take. We don't even want them here, right? So a Samaritan, as he traveled, came came where the man was, and when he saw him, he took pity on him. So I, I want you to note in this passage that the priest and the Levite, Jesus actually said they just happened by, right? What does that mean, just happened by? Oh, I just happened by, right? But what does it say about the Samaritan? As he traveled, as he traveled, which means he had a destination. He probably had a timeline. He was on a schedule. He had somewhere to go. He had somewhere to be. Someone was counting on him. There, there was a plan in place in his life where the priest and the Levite were just happened by. So to me, I think that's actually really important that we need to point out too. So he went to him and bandaged his wounds, pouring on oil and wine, then he put the man on his own donkey, brought him to an inn, and took care of him. So the pouring on of wine would have cleansed. The pouring on of oil would have soothed the man, right? And we already know this guy's naked and half dead. It doesn't say anywhere where he put clothes on him. So you've got this Samaritan that's such a nice guy. You've got this naked guy laying there. You just poured wine all over him. Now you've just oiled him. Right? You got oil all over the place, and now you're going to pick him up? So you, you pick him up, put him on your donkey, and go to the end. I'm just trying to give you context here. 
The next day, he took out two denarii, which is about a total of about $100, uh, and gave them to the innkeeper. Look after him, he said, and when I return, I will reimburse you for any extra expense you have. So the, man, the Samaritan, good Sam, didn't just say, I'm done, 100 bucks, here's a Benjamin, I gotta go, I'm already late. No, he goes, here's 100 bucks, but I'm coming back this way, and if, and if he incurs any more financial charges, I'll take that on too, okay? So now Jesus, <laughs> now he's got the question that he's just going to drop on this lawyer, and he goes, which of these three do you think was a neighbor to the man who fell into the hands of robbers? So this is the best part. It's the best part, because Jesus has taken the, the lawyer on this parable story, and all of a sudden he's going, now you get to decide. You get to tell me who this is. The expert of the law replied, the one who had mercy on him. The one who had mercy on him. You notice he didn't say the Samaritan. He didn't say that was good Sam. Right? He, he didn't say that. He said the one. He couldn't even utter the name Samaritan. So Jesus told him, go and do likewise. Go and do this. This is the key to eternity. All right, so we've read the parable. So let's kind of start focusing a little more on what this means to us. This, this parable, like I said before, is about love. It's, about, it's, it's a love story. It's a love story between us and God. It's a love story between us and our neighbor. And, and, and it's something that points us towards eternity. And all the guys just checked out because I said love story, right? So what does this mean? Who, who is our neighbor? How, how do we love our neighbor? So loving your neighbor comes from compassion, not obligation. Say compassion. Comes from compassion. If we look back in this parable, you see that the Levite and the priest, they were they were actually obligated to help this man. In fact, in Leviticus 19, 18, it says, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. The problem is, is they had used the law and they had redefined the law in a way that they got to pick and choose who their neighbor was. This word obligation is an act or course of action to which a person is morally or legally bound, a duty or a commitment. So they had a duty. They had an obligation. They had they, the law actually told them, no, you're, you're supposed to help your neighbor. But because they just couldn't be bothered, like we don't even understand why, why they didn't help. Maybe, maybe they were on the road to Jericho and, man, their, their buddies were waiting for them on the other end. They're texting them, bro, when are you going to get here? Sorry, I didn't set my alarm. I'm late right? Or maybe they just had a, I, sorry, I lost my note. Maybe they had like a sick family member down in Jericho and they were just on their way and they just had to get there, which, you know, in a way you're like, well, I mean, yeah, get there because they're sick. But again, Jesus calls us to be 
what? Interruptible in our lives. Maybe their, their car had broken down and now they're halfway to Jericho and they just got to get there, get some more gas to come back. Maybe they had an argument with their spouse and they're just not in the right headspace to be helping anyone right now. Maybe they just have a lot going on in their life and they just, no, I just can't do this today. Has anyone ever felt that way? Really, the problem was they had redefined the law, who was and wasn't their neighbor. They had put what they wanted first. They had put what they wanted first, not what God wanted. They didn't want to be neighbors to the Samaritan, the half-breeds. They made the law fit in their box. But Jesus, through this parable, was showing that the lawyer, that he was showing the lawyer that all the extra stuff that they had put on, all this narrative that they had put on, the, the law was not necessary. And they needed to strip it back to the basics. But we can also guess why the Samaritan did what he did. And in verse 33, we read, but a Samaritan, as he traveled, came where the man was. And when we saw him, when he saw him, he took pity on him. This word pity in the Greek is translated uh, to experience great affection and compassion for someone, to feel compassion for, to have a great affection for, love, and compassion. And not just because I have it in all caps and bold up there and highlighted, but what word sticks out to you in this definition? The word compassion. Jesus calls us to have compassion for our neighbors. God doesn't want us to be obligated to reach. He wants us to find this compassion to reach. Because you can do things out of obligation. You can wake up every morning and read your Bible because that's what your mom or your grandma or your Bible teacher told you to do. Does that change the world? No. You can, you can do all sorts of things because you're obligated to do them. But when we start moving and when we start doing and we start reaching through compassion, that's when the world sees love. That's when the world sees Jesus. Because you could, have, you, you could help somebody move because last year they helped you move. You could bring a meal to somebody because when you had surgery, somebody brought you a meal. You know, we, you can do things because you kind of feel obligated to do them. But it's through love and compassion that Jesus asks, asks us to move. 1 John 4.19 says, we love because what? He first loved us. Like we, our duty is to love, but we only love because we have been loved first. And if you're not in relationship with Jesus Christ right now, man, See any one of the pastors afterwards, and we'll help you out with that. And can I say something that may challenge you? It doesn't matter what you have going on. It doesn't matter what you have going on. God doesn't say, you get a pass today because you have a lot going on. You know what? You don't, don't worry about loving your neighbor today. I know you had a hard morning, right? The Keurig broke. You don't have your coffee. Like, my, one of my biggest pet peeves is, I got my coffee, open the fridge, I don't have my creamer. Okay. Oh, Jesus. 
Okay. Or I just poured cereal in a bowl and there's no milk. Weeping, gnashing of teeth, okay? When we love God, we love our neighbor. I'll say that again. When we love God, we will love our neighbor. When we love our neighbor, we are moved with compassion for what they are in need of. God plan, God's plan moves us into the path of someone else's pain. God's plan, not our plan, not what we have going on today, but God's plan moves us into the path of somebody else's pain. There was a time where my brother called me. Um, I was much younger, like 20 years ago. <laughs> Jesus. Um, so we're like both super young adults, and he calls me. It's like 11 o'clock, you guys. And I was working construction. It's during the week. I'm already in bed. Like, my bedtime was like 10. You know what I mean? I was a good boy. I had to get up early in the morning. And so he calls me at like 11 o'clock. I'm like, what? And he's like, dude, my car broke down. I'm in Wilsonville. And I have called all of my friends, and nobody will come and help me. And I, yeah, oh, I did not think, oh. <laughs> I thought, that's what I thought. I'm in bed. I'm pleasantly asleep at this point. And he calls me, and he reaches out, and I have this compassion because he's my brother. And I drive up to Wilsonville, and I pick him up, and I get to tell him in that moment, I guess you know who your friends are now. Because my brother, what you don't know necessarily is that my brother had, had veered very abruptly away from God. And he was hanging out with this, these people, this group of friends that, let's just say, that they didn't have his best interest in mind. And when push came to shove, when he needed help, he found out who his neighbor was. He found out that the love and compassion of God was the thing that would move somebody to come and help him. And I'm not saying that to like pat myself on the back because there was, I had some issues I had to work through, you know, getting up out of bed. That was my least favorite thing. One commentator said, such love must not be half-hearted. It must be all-encompassing. Every part of you, thoughts, emotions, feelings, actions, must be controlled by the love for God and for others. Being a neighbor requires us to give up everything to God. Then and only then can God use us. When you have emptied yourself, then you become a vessel that God can actually use. You become something that God will then fill up with what he wants and what he wants you to do because God's plan moves us on the, into the path of somebody else's pain. Number two, loving your neighbor has no boundaries. And you guys, I'm gonna go a little bit over on time today. I hope you don't mind. It doesn't matter. Please sit still. <laughs> Nobody has lunch plans. It t Mike? No, I'm just kidding. 
I don't, the band's coming up. I'm like, sit down. <laughs> Just got really awkward in here. Loving your neighbor has no boundaries. There are no boundaries to this. In the last couple years especially, and, and over throughout history, there's been so much division, especially in the United States in the last couple years though. Political division, spiritual polarization, racial division, division even when it comes to gender. There's so many things that can cut us right in half. There's a division, there's a polarization that has happened. But we don't make these decisions based on what our government says. We don't make these decisions based on what my feelings say about something. We make decisions based upon what the Word of God tells us to do. We make decisions based upon, as we live our lives for Christ, we make decisions based upon how his love leads us to make decisions. We base so many of our life decisions on how we feel about something or someone, we don't take the time to get to know people anymore. Social media has not done a good job at connecting people. Man, I can send you reels and you will laugh and be entertained, but is that a connection? No, it's not a connection. Yeah, maybe we're staying connected, but I don't, I don't know you any better. Maybe I know your sense of humor, and it can be pretty sick sometimes, people. But every time I meet with somebody, every time me and my wife have dinner with somebody, man, you just meet someone on a whole new level. You understand their background. You understand their context. You understand why they do the things that they do and why they don't do other things. And you're moved with compassion. Going back to my last point. We don't get to choose our neighbors. God does that for us. Everyone say, I don't get to choose. You don't get to choose who you meet walking down that, that road. You don't get to meet, you, you don't get to choose what situation you get to walk into. God does that for you. God's the one that directs our lives. He's the one that is directing our path. If we give it to him, then that's true. This word neighbor means one who is near. It doesn't say my physical neighbor. It doesn't say, you know, just you guys because I like you. It says the one who is near. Whoever you are near, whoever you are next to, whoever is, is sitting next to you at work, whoever you are talking to at the bank, whoever you are getting your groceries from, at the store, the one who is near. Those are our neighbors. Those are the people that we reach to. Those are the people that God sets us in their path to speak to and take care of their pain. Charles Swindoll says this, what, we, what you are determines what you see and what you see determines what you do. 
Let's read that again. What you are determines what you see, and what you see determines what you do. Who we are, man, I hope you are, a child of God. We are, we are God's chosen people. We are God's creation. And through that lens, that's what God helps us. He helps us to see the need of others. Through who we are, we are loved, we are forgiven. In that same lens is what you see others through. And what you see determines what you do. Man, if you see somebody in need and you're not stepping into that need, you're just like, I'll pray for you. I'm not, I'm not trying to bash praying. Praying is super important. But God wants us to meet that physical need. Don't pour wine and oil on them. Don't do that. But meet a practical need. You guys ever heard the phrase, um, the ground is level at the foot of the cross? I think one of the first times I heard that was uh, Chuck Taylor said that to me one time. Well, General Robert E. Lee attended a service at St. Paul's Episcopal Church in Richmond, and he was, he was known as this really, like, strong Christian man, and this, this black gentleman got up, and, and this, the church was, it was mixed racially, but it was still, you know what I mean? It was still kind of in the beginning of all that, and this black gentleman got up, when it was time to take communion, he got up and he went down first. And everyone was like, well, mm, what do we do? What do we do, right? Nobody wanted to move. Robert E. Lee stood up and he walked down and he knelt by this gentleman. That's all he did. He got up and he moved to where his neighbor was. And at the end of the service, people asked him, man, why'd you do that? Why'd you do that? And his response was, the ground is level at the foot of the cross. Because Jesus died for me, and he died for you, and he died for everyone else on this planet. It doesn't matter what race, it doesn't matter what color, it does not matter what political view, it does not matter what political view. We're so out of time right now. <laughs> so I'm super going to get back to the basics, and I'm going to jump to my conclusion. You guys, we, we love God, and we love our neighbor, and now we, we know who our neighbor is. We know why we should love our neighbor, because the love of God, the compassion that he gives us is the thing that stirs us, is the thing that is supposed to move us into the path of somebody else's pain. But there is a benefit for you and for me in this. Because at the very beginning of this, what did the lawyer ask? How do I ensure that in my life, I'm on a trajectory towards eternity? And Jesus says, love God, love your neighbor. And yes, the definition of neighbor needed to be defined in this parable. 
But let's go back to that. Love God, love your neighbor, and eternity is yours. And can I just tell you just a few things about eternity? Eternity, first of all, is not guaranteed. And, and you don't have to work to get to in eternity. But God is saying, you need to love me and you need to love others to be able to get there. That there's a relationship between us and him and then us and others, right? And eternity is not just living forever. Eternity is, a, is not just a quantity of time. Eternity is a quality of life. Because eternity isn't something you're just like, oh, I'm just going to live forever. And if this is my life, I'm not sure if I want to choose that. Eternity is eternity with God in the presence of God, with fellow believers, with the love and compassion. You guys, I'm serious. I'm kind of looking forward to it. And it will satisfy every need. It will satisfy every need. You will no longer need in, in eternity. So let's, let's get back to the basics today. Let's not overcomplicate this. Let's love God and love our neighbor. And again, neighbor is defined as the one who is near. Whoever you find near you, whoever you see that is in your view, in your life, that's the person that you need to reach to. That's the person that you need to help. You don't have to look far. There are a lot of people in need. And all of that, all of that, loving God, loving your neighbor, that points us to eternity. And that is the goal. That is the goal. Amen? Amen. You guys pray with me. God, thank you so much, first of all, for your love. God, how you sent your son to come as a man, to love us on this human playing field, and to sacrifice in such a way that he laid down his life for our needs, for our pain. God, that you would love us so much to do that for us. God, that you would forgive us. God, that you would continue to give us grace and mercy. God, because we are not perfect people. God, you love us in spite of our imperfections. God, so I pray that just like you love us in spite of our imperfections, God, that we could share that same love with every other human on this planet. Because God, if you give us that love, God, if the Holy Spirit can work in us and we could flow out of this place and your love would go with us, God, each individual here in this place could be a world changer, could be a life changer. God, and I pray that over everyone today. God, you don't, 
You don't expect greatness from us. You expect us to love you and love others. Which in your eyes is greatness. Jesus, I pray that just one more time, show us your love so that we can show it to others. In Jesus' name. Thank you guys so much for coming today. And again, if you don't have a relationship with Jesus, talk to one of the pastors, find us. Don't leave here not knowing Jesus. And if you need prayer, if you're working through something, Holy Spirit speaking to you, go ahead and come up here. We have a prayer team up here to meet your needs. All right? With that, God bless, and we will see you again next week. Here at Relevant Life Church, it's our mission to see people connect with God, relate to one another, and reach our world. This single statement drives everything we do as a church. Our hope is that today you were encouraged in this. Thank you for joining us and have a blessed day.